0: Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Aviation Avenue Podcast. Folks, I'm very happy to be back with you, recording part two of our F4U Corsair uh, episode. Uh, Everybody, uh, before we get to that, a few announcements, and then we'll get right to it. So, everybody, um, I hope you guys uh, had a good weekend. Uh, I just uh, mostly um, just didn't do much, just relaxed uh, this weekend and things like that and, uh, it was a really fun, uh, thing, and, um, yeah, so, everybody, this is part two of our F4U Corsair episode with Jim Tobel, uh, last week, we were discussing, uh, parts of the Corsair, and now we're gonna finish it off here on part two, so, everybody, um, And, uh, yeah, I don't really, uh, have much announcements other than that. Uh, my weekend was great and, uh, things like that. Just, uh, relaxed and, uh, oh, yeah, so this, oh, I forgot to mention, yesterday I was down at the Plains of Fame Air Museum for a member appreciation barbecue. It was really fun. Uh, I was there from 5 until about, um about eight in the evening and or it's about seven in the evening it was really beautiful um i encourage you guys to become a member at the plains of fame air museum down in chino california because there are so many things you can benefit from it including uh, that barbecue uh everybody um uh i'm gonna get into the uh, part two of the corsair episode we hope you enjoy it to do to actually make come over here you see what we have right here
1: remember we talked about the balance tabs on the elevator on the ailerons well, the elevators have the same thing, which is power steering. So all axis of the aircraft, less the rudder, yeah, it's just with your feet, doesn't really mean much. It's really that stick force, because you're over here working the throttle, and you got the stick. And so all axis, roll and pitch, has the power steering, so I can actually fly it with two fingers. Where a Mustang driver has to use two hands, like Quicksilver, Scooter, that's why he he has big muscles, he needs it, And so this, right next to it, is the trim tab. And so if I have a nose heavy, nose light, if it's high, low, I can trim it to absolute neutral by the trim tab in the cockpit. As well as the rudder. Rudder has a trim tab, and I, if it's pulling to one side, the ball's offset in my, trim, in my uh, turning bank, I can center it by simply a dial inside. So trim the rudder, trim the elevators, and trim the ailerons. All three axes trim on this aircraft. I can't even hear that. It's like a drumbeat. The Indians are coming. I have different camera mounts in this aircraft, so you'll see unusual things. Um, These, I simply have a camera, and I can take and uh, um, photograph, whatever, video, any aircraft flying with me. I use those a lot with uh, Class 45 with Scott Yoke when he flies a Mustang. We have a routine together, and I'll put up cameras, and we'll just want to video our routine. And you can see more access doors. Oh, Here's the other one for lifting the aircraft tail or holding it down, as I described. That's the other side. It's a clear hole that runs all the way through the tail. And more access to servicing the aircraft. You probably didn't notice this, but on the other side, it had USS Valley Forge. On this side, it has USS Boxer. And everybody says, wait a minute, you got to choose one or the other. Why do you have one side with 884 VF, which is a Navy squadron, and the other side is VF-653? Why would you do such a thing? Well, let me tell you, my dad, when he researched the bureau number, which is 97143, that's the serial number of this aircraft in the Navy, he found it was on... Two different aircraft carriers, USS Boxer and the USS Valley Forge. He then went to the squadrons, figured out the time frame, figured out that this aircraft bureau number was in those squadrons. So then he went to the pilots and said, Hey, can you look in your logbook to see if you have 97143? We found eight pilots that actually flew it in combat. And it's in their logbooks. Yes, flew this aircraft. We did this strike on this power plant. You know, we took out this train because this was a ground support. So they took out, they didn't do dogfights in the air with other aircraft. They were ground-based support. And so, some were from 884, some were from 653. Well, the Boxer in 884 was, was Olathe, Kansas, and I think we had four pilots from that squadron that we found four pilots actually flew it in combat. The other side is USS uh, Valley Forge 653, that was an Akron-Canton squadron, found out that X amount of pilots from Pittsburgh and from Cleveland flew the aircraft. And we built the aircraft, uh, rebuilt the aircraft in Pittsburgh because uh, we were living in Pittsburgh at the time. We actually had a couple pilots in Pittsburgh that flew this aircraft on the, let um, see, that would have been the uh, Valley Forge. Really new. Now, unfortunately, all the pilots have passed, but there's a crew chief from 653 that leaves in Naples, Florida. He's 93 maybe now, and he's still there and he does travel to air shows with because he and my father used to travel back in the 90s, air shows all over the place. And so that's why we have one side with a boxer, the other side with a Valley Forge, because my dad couldn't decide, well, we're just going to recognize Olathe, or we're just going to re- recognize Akron. You know what? These guys, we found pilots who flew both of them from each squadron. We're going to recognize each one. So that's why you see two different names. Yes, I get a lot of people to say that's not authentic. But you know what? It's about the people. It's about the pilots that actually put their feet in the rudder pedals, and they flew this thing in combat. We felt that we needed to recognize those guys. That's why we did that. So, just a little tidbit. Okay. So, this side, this side is very much identical to the other side, but this side is the one we're actually going to climb on the aircraft tail sign there is the footstep in the flap that you need to get you back up to this handhold this footstep and if you notice there's a lower handhold here this is will will get you up on that wing step then you transition to the upper then you come back over here to the step and then climb into the aircraft so this is the side that I will enter the aircraft and exit the aircraft only unless I want to do a Pappy Boynton and jump off the wing on the front which you could do but I'm starting to get a little older I like the steps Every drive is a joy ride. The thrilling Audi sedan family. So what you have up here is the fuel tank. It only has one fuel tank, and the fuel tank is in this whole section right here. So basically, I'm flying behind the fuel tank. There's 234 gallons in here, and it is a completely encased fuel bladder system. Oh, look at that, GoPro mount. That's kind of a cool shot to have a GoPro. <laughs> right up the hose nose. So, as we transition, oh hey, remember this from the other side? That's the jury strut cover that goes into that threaded hole on this side. So, jury strut right there. And then. We come into the oil service, this is where I service the engine oil, and uh, make sure you hold on to it, um, this, this uh, dips, oh, you know what, I'll just show you, this will be a unique one, okay, so, we have a max oil of 27 gallons, not quarts, and right now I'm sitting at 22 gallons, which is about right for my demo, I'll be flying my demo with 22 gallons of fluid, I'm of oil. And because I run it at that level, it doesn't really exit. I do aerobatics with negative and positive Gs. And when I go into the negative Gs, it pushes out the vents. So if I go any higher, I'm just going to lose oil. It's going to become a dirty girl because all it'll come right off the belly. i got to scrub more. I found out 22, 21 gallons is really good from my demo. When I go to go home, I bring it up to the high end and travel back home. This one up here is my hydraulic reservoir. And it's a five-gallon reservoir. And... It has a dipstick, and the dipstick has a hole and a rib and three holes, and you can see the add mark is right to here. So I want to keep it between these two ribs, but sometimes it's hard to see, so they give these holes, and when the holes fill up with oil, because you can't even see the oil on there, and it's very difficult, but you can see the holes, and so that's how I check my hydraulic fluid to make sure that I have hydraulics. There's nothing quite like local. So at AARP, we connect people to what matters most in the places they call home. With experiences made especially for your community. Brought to you by those who know you. Your neighbors. Wherever you live, we're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. Find us near you today. Well now we're in the cockpit, so let's kind of take a look at the cockpit. Um, some of the cockpit is standard, the way it was originally, and some of it uh, I have modified. Because I've flied a lot, all flight-critical instruments have been changed to a new instrument so that it's reliable, and if I'm flying into weather, I, um, I feel confident that everything is good. Here's the original clock. That, that is one of the original items the airspeed i changed it to a more common uh the um, g meter is an original g meter manifold pressure that's pretty common but that's a high if you notice it goes up to 100 inches although my red line is down around 60 rpm the rpm is 2800 maximum and so that that's all very reliable but original this is original equipment as well as a tack generator on the aircraft um, i use some more modern equipment these are gauges that measure cylinder head temperature the egt and also fuel flow these are good indicators for me to tell me that all 18 cylinders are making power they could be warm, cylinder head temperature could be up there, but it's not making power. So me uh, measuring the exhaust gas temperature, EGT, it tells me that every cylinder or which cylinder of the 18 are not giving me power. So then I can go straight to cylinder number 12 and address that problem. So it's a troubleshooting platform, but it gives me a good idea because I only have one fan spinning and I want to keep it spinning cylinder head temp fuel gauge three in one that's original three in one navigation my dg coming up horizon original wet compass airspeed then we go to turn and bank manifold pressure which is power rpm there's my um, mag switch and above it is my g meter this is an original checklist, and I have it sitting on landing, and I can change it to takeoff, and it gives me a nice checklist to make sure that I have all the proper items addressed. And I, <clears throat> I leave it landing. And then, as we transition over to here, we have the landing gear. Now, it, what's unique about this aircraft is it has a dive brake section, so you have landing gear. And when you come up, you can shift it over and come down to the dive brake side. And what that does, it keeps the tail gear in and does not allow to be deployed. So the main landing gear will come out, and that is your dive brake. Now, you can see I blocked it. Dad didn't even want us to even think about going over there by accident, pulling the gear down and only having the mains and not the tail. But that is one of the... Um, operational conditions of this aircraft in case you needed dive brakes and you were just wanted to point the nose straight at the ground. You deploy the dive brake and you can just push the nose over and it will never exceed a max V&E speed of 410 knots. So that's interesting. Here's the arresting hook and so sometimes i will demonstrate that the hook operates and when i come across the crowd i'll put the hook down and you'll see the hook down as i come across with my dirty pass the another interesting is the wing flaps you can see there's zero 10 20 30 40 and 50. That is incredible, having 50 degrees of flaps. If you notice, there was a lot of flap area out there on the flaps, but more so, 50 degrees. And you needed that because of the hose nose. If you look down this nose, you can see how long that nose is. You see that aircraft carrier we're about to land on? Uh... No, you'll never see anything forward. So the 50 degrees flaps pushes the nose over to allow our AOA, remember we talked about AOA, so your angle of attack can be lowered and not block all your forward vision. So that's the reason for the 50 degrees. It slows it down. My stall speed on this aircraft is 77 knots. So I have to stay north of 77 because it will fall out of the sky at 77 or thereabouts. So, but only can I get there by 50 degrees of flaps. Typically, pilots are coming in four knots above stall. So you're looking at 81. And that nose, it would be super, super high if it wasn't for the 50 degrees of flaps. And it's still they couldn't see it. So there was a technique that they learned and it was a pitch down, watch the LSO officer come down on the neck and slam it. That was the technique because the nose is so long to land this aircraft on aircraft carriers. So there we go on the flaps. Here's my landing gear indicator so I can see that both my mains are down. And also, this is my tailwheel. So I know that all my gear are down and locked with those indicators, and they're tied physically with a cable to each of the three landing gear. Here's my fuel pump. I have emergency, and I have boost. So it's a two-stage pump. So in case one fails, I still have a backup. Fuel transfer, if I have a left drop tank, I can go to my left drop tank over there, or I can bring it over to my right. And what that does, it actuates an electric pump, and it transfers from the drop tank to my main tank. So everything is transferable. That doesn't mean that I could fly off the drop, but guess what, I I can fly off that drop tank if that transfer pump fails right here right now it's on on the main tank but see right here right drop tank standby so i could flip this over to the right it will draw the fuel from the right drop tank straight to the engine not to my main tank but to the engine the only problem is we have no idea how much fuel is in that drop so when it is done you will know it because the engine will stop it's time to flip it and you could do the same thing for the left. So you could still get the fuel out of the tank, it's just in a different way. Another redundant way of getting fuel out of those drop tanks. Uh, here's your oh, quadrant. Oh you like. uh, yeah, there's a bunch. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Here's the throttle quadrant. And so what you have is your power. This is manifold, but this is fuel going to the engine, throttle. This one is a propeller. So this, this controls the RPM of the engine. And this is my mixture control, and so we control the mixture in which it's the air-fuel ratio mixture going to the engine. And as I said, that's your fuel, and we can turn it to off, and then we lock the fuel out so it's not going anywhere. You know what I forgot underneath here? Here's your cow flaps. And so you can take your cow flaps and open them by pushing it this way, or you can close them by pushing it this way. So that's that's the uh, flap, cow flaps, that's right over there. See, you can see those from back here. You don't need an indicator, you can just look at them. And so this is a trim, this is my aileron trim, and um, this would be, right here is my elevator trim, and this is my rudder. So rudder, aileron, excuse me, elevator, aileron. So roll, my pitch, and this is my yaw with the rudder so you have three axis trim on this aircraft and also here's the supercharger so i can be a neutral blower and i can come up to low blow or i can call come all the way up to high blow in this particular aircraft i don't utilize this i have a switch that's electrically actuated go into high blower or low blow that, that, that's part of the original quadrant and an engine that I don't have in this airplane. But that's the actual mechanism to, to shift it from high blow to, high, to low blow. Here's the wing fold mechanism. And it's a very interesting uh, design. It is hydraulically actuated, so I'm in the spread configuration. I can bring it up to neutral, be like a center lock, or I can fold them. So what I have to do is unlock this physical pin. This pin is on a spring-loaded cable. And if you look out in the wing, see that little tab that comes up? That's how I am actually putting a pin into the hydraulic cylinder to ensure it will never back out. If the wings were folded, I could show you that lock mechanism. But there, when the wing is folded, I mean, excuse me, spread, there are holes. It's kind of like an, an eye and a clevis coming together, and there's a hole through all of it. And there's a pin on the cylinder that goes through the clevis and the eye that locks the wing down. So hydraulic pressure, if it were to fail you could have it slip out. Well, by actuating that pin, it goes in the back of the cylinder and locks that cylinder so it stays engaged and can never back out of the wing. So when I'm flying in flight, I can be ensured that cylinder will never back out and my wings will always be locked in the spread. So I'm gonna go ahead and lock those, that pin. And when I do this, it locks it down. So that's one of my pre-flight items. I look on both wings to make sure both of those tabs are down so that uh, my wings stay in the position I want. Um, back here, if I were to have drop tanks, I can deploy my right drop tank by using this lever or I can deploy the left, uh, Pylon. So whatever I have on the pylon, if it's a drop, if it's ordnance, this is how I would drop a bomb. So normally they would take the left pylon, drop their bomb, 500 pounds, tiny Tim, whatever the ordinance is. That's how you would drop it off the aircraft. That's how I drop my drop tank. If I put a right one on, which I have, um, and I want to take it off the airplane, I have a couple of guys down there catching the drop tank, and this is where I pop it. And uh, it'll release it. So that's the pylon releases. And just forward of that is my tailwheel lock. And this locks my tailwheel. So right now, it would be locked in that very limited left and right uh, position. Or I can release it, and it's a full 360-degree swivel. This aircraft has oxygen on board and so here's my valves for opening and closing my oxygen bottle because when I fly the airplane I'm on oxygen the entire time. Interesting fact, see down there it says dump the tank pressure. What you can do is you can take that and turn it on. It pressurizes the fuel tank. Uh, This aircraft has a service ceiling of 41,000 feet. And fuel is not intended to be... Consumed at 41,000 feet. So fuel tends to get a little crazy up there. So we pressurize the tank and it allows the fuel to stay in its condition that it's expected to be to be flowed through the engine and run uh, correctly. If you don't pressurize the tank, You'll actually not be able to use the fuel it just it, it it reacts in some very bad ways so that's a pressurized but that's only for high altitude which i don't go up there anymore so i just leave it in a dump state which is just natural state um on this side is my switch panels over here i have my battery my primer my starter and my pre-oil. And I go through my sequence of starting. Get a radio master, external lights, PTO heat, strobes, section lights, navigation lights. Remember we talked about that approach light? I can actually turn it on. And it does function and work. So those are the switches I use. I have a hydraulic auxiliary pump so i can actually fold the wings on the ground by using that pump so these are things i added for convenience purposes come down here here's your lights here's all your circuit breakers for the aircraft and all the electrical systems and here's my radio so i have an audio panel here i have com1 com2 nav My NAB does have ILS, so I could shoot an approach. And then I have my um, transponder. Now, this is really cool. Not very many airplanes have this. I have an onboard camera system, and this records all my cameras. And I have cameras on each side of the uh, cockpit. So I can take video going off my wing this way, off my wing that way. I have a camera that's on the side of my helmet here that faces right out the screen, which is a cool shot. I have another camera right here that faces me, and I, when I'm upside down, I can get some pretty cool shots out of all this glass canopy. And uh, but I have that's an onboard camera system that I can utilize as well. Oh, here's an interesting fact that's a lock. That lock is supposed to be on for takeoffs and landings. That way the canopy can never come forward. It's an emergency situation where if I were to have uh, an accident and the canopy could run all the way forward, break all the mechanisms, and lock me inside the canopy. Well, with this right there, that ensures the canopy will never come forward. And so for all landings and takeoffs, that's something that It was always flipped over. And also, when I'm inside, if I have to have an emergency, I have a red handle here and here, and I pop it, and the canopy comes off so I can uh, exit the uh, aircraft. Don't cry because it's gone. Smile, because you still have crispy chicken sandwich crumbs. This is the weapon system on the aircraft and these control all the different, these are armament. You can see these are bombs right here, salvos, you could go in groups, you can release rockets individually, collectively. You can use one in the right, one in the left to make opposings. Um, all different things. You have a gun sight. I actually have the original gun sight that goes in here, and it's operational. Then you can have guns. You can have just the inboard guns. You can have the center guns. The outboard guns. Now, remember, they always go in pairs. So if you do outboard, you get outboard left and right. So you could turn all of the guns on and fire them all at one time. Pilots say when you do that, you could actually feel the airplane backing up with 650 caliber guns going off. So they usually use them individually plus saving rounds. You don't want all 6 going out there. And every I forget it was every fifth round was a tracer so you can see the tracer and you know where your rounds are going. But you want to be selective. You only have 2400 rounds. So then you have master armaments and but this is this is your weapon systems and this is what actually this is what they originally look like your gun sight has a rectal coming up and you can make it as brighter as dim as you want so that you can see your target which is lined up with the machine guns so now the center pedestal has charging. And so we charge the 50 calibers. So the guns on the right side will be charged hydraulically. So basically this is just taking hydraulic pressure, shooting them to the guns, charging the guns for operation. They need hydraulic pressure to shoot. And then when you unload them, you come back to the safe. So when you land on the boat or come back to the base, they're non-operational in the safe mode. So you got left guns and right guns. Got the oil cooler door. Remember, we saw the oil cooler. I have doors, I forgot to show you that, that I can open and close based on my temperatures. And then also I have oil cooler door location So I can actually open them, which is always open, excuse me, always close because this engine runs really cool. But if I want to open it, I can sit down and open this thing all the way up. But the engine runs so cool, very seldom and it's in its automatic position so when it comes up here and the oil temperature gets in that yellow range i'll start to see this door open it opens at on demand so as i get hotter of oil temperature it will start opening further and further so i can look down here and know that it's it's operating correctly my inner cooler remember i i said that i didn't have it this actually would control the inner cooler and the flaps Here's your oil shutoff. Remember I mentioned that if I had problems and the one oil cooler was shot up, I can pull this and turn it and isolate the left hand, or I can isolate the right-hand oil cooler, and it won't keep dumping oil overboard. There's my emergency bottle. I have a blowdown from my emergency gear extend, and so that's my bottle. It says I'm right up to high temp. This is my fresh air. This is my bestest friend in the whole wide world in hot temps. And hydraulic pressure. I'm always right around the thousand psi in operation. And down here is how I extend the gear with the emergency. If I lose hydraulics and I have to use the blowdown bottle, that's my procedure. That's it. I think, uh, hopefully, I've educated you a little bit on the Corsair. It's a great flying pl- uh, airplane, uh, way better than the Mustang. Yeah, you can take, you can tell Scooter, and know, yeah, Quicksilver, Mustang versus Corsair. Corsair will get them every time. But thank you for joining me. I hope I educate you a little bit on the Corsair, and I hope to see you around sometime.
0: Well, everybody, that was our uh, that concludes our two-part series on the uh, on the uh, P uh, on the F-4U Corsair. Sorry if the outro effect went off. That's just our ending point. So, everybody, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, uh, Aviation Avenue Pod. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Brandon Piscopo. Become a patron at patreon.com slash aviationavenuepodcast. Make sure to support my podcast going into any link below wherever you listen on any major podcast platform. And we will see you next week here on the Aviation Avenue Podcast. So long for now, everyone.